We've been talking about the Mark, the gospel of action, and that's an example of the gospel in action in the life of Nicole. Okay, Bridge Kids, you are dismissed, and you can go to your classes. I'd also like to say uh, welcome back, students. We're so glad to have you today, and welcome new students. So uh, thanks for being here. We're in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Today we're in Mark uh, chapter 13, verses 14 through 37, and this is the sign of the end times. William Miller was a farmer in Vermont. He fought in the War of 1812, and he served as a justice of the peace. His perspective about God was highly influenced by the deists or deism, which some of you are aware was a kind of a rationalistic uh, kind of faith of early American intellectuals, including some of our founding fathers. In 1816, Miller converted to Christianity and began to study the Bible. He was very intrigued about biblical prophecy. Through, over time, through some calculations and extrapolations, Miller concluded that the end of the world would come in 1843, which you know is kind of dangerous. Uh, he published a book entitled Evidence from Scripture and History of the Second Coming of Christ in 1838. When March 21st, 1843, came and went, that was the date he had predicted the end of the world, uh, 50,000 people were seriously ready to meet Jesus Christ. And it was said that there were uh, hundreds of thousands of others who were very curious because of the communication that happened during those days about the end of the world. Since nothing happened, Miller decided he needed to reevaluate his calculations. And so uh, he made a correction, and he predicted the date to be March 21st, 1844, and that came and went. So uh, by this time, some of his followers thought they had understood what needed to happen, and they corrected his findings and came up with October 22nd, 1844, and the world did not end. If you study history, literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of predictions have been made uh, about the end of the world. Some of those by Christians, sadly, and some of those uh, not Christians. It was Jesus who said, no one knows that day or hour, not even the angels of heaven or the Son, but only the Father. No one knows the day or the hour. So today I have no predictions to make, but I do have some scripture for us to evaluate. I do confess that I have opinions, but they're only opinions. Um, The context is Mark chapter 13, so I invite you to look at Mark chapter 13, and I always would encourage you to pick up a Bible on the way in. We have Bibles on the table, and we're glad to, uh, we probably could get some ushers to hand some out. If you want a Bible, just slip up your hand, and we'll give you a copy, and we always have the page number uh, listed, so page 706 or 1018, depending on which one. So we have several, so just slip up your hand, we'd be glad to hand one out. It'll help you to follow along in the text. Mark chapter 13, as he, that is Jesus, was leaving the temple, one of the disciples said to him, look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. You remember that Jesus had been at the temple. This is the last week of his life. On Sunday was a triumphal entry. 
On Monday, he went in and cleansed the temple and drove out the money changers and those who were buying and selling. And if you remember, we've seen some marvelous... Uh, the, the, the temple of the first century, Herod's temple, was a marvelous structure, one of the wonders of the world in some estimations during this time period. And the disciples said, do you see all these great buildings? Jesus replied, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. And Jesus was prediction the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, which happened in 70 AD. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when these things will happen, and what will be the sign that they're about to be fulfilled? And so his disciples ask, when's this going to take place? What are the signs? And so Jesus begins to answer. And that's what we did last week. We talked about, really, uh, last week was about the birth pains. Um, there's going to be some uh, deception, radical deception during these, as we approach the end. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be radical uh, climate changes, political and environmental uh, upheaval. And G- Jesus said, this is, these are just birth pains. It's just, you can just expense, uh, expect it. It's going to become uh, more intense and, and closer together as we approach the end. But those aren't. That's not it. Just expect it. Expect wars. Expect earthquakes. Expect famines. And now we come uh, to where Jesus actually speaks of a sign. And so uh, if you want to follow along on your outline, the very first point is to watch for the abomination that causes desolation. And let me say before we jump into this, uh, one scholar said this is the most difficult passage in all the book of Mark. So uh, this is not simple. And yet when we come to texts like this, we still have to try to interpret it. What is it saying? What does it mean? Okay? And so... Um, I may not be perfect in my understanding, but we do need to understand. Some people just blow off things they don't understand. That's one way to do it. But when we come to the text, we need to seek to understand the best we can. And and we've been given God's word, and it is our job to study and to learn. So watch for the abomination that causes desolation. This will be a sign. Remember, a sign authenticates. A sign is something miraculous. It authenticates the message and the messenger. What is the message? Who is the messenger? And so Jesus says this is a sign, and it's going to be an opening to the end of the age. It was prophesied by Daniel, uh, verse 14. And verse 14 says, When you see, this, these are the words of Jesus, the abomination that causes desolation. So Jesus is saying this is a technical reference here, the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So, technical term, abomination that causes desolation. It refers to an event in the end times that happens in the temple in Jerusalem. Abomination is something that is vile, a shameful act, And it is detested by God. That's the concept of abomination here. Matthew uh, lets us know that Daniel referred to this. This is Matthew's version of the passage I just read. So when you see standing in the holy place, that would be in the temple, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. So Mark says that one way Matthew adds that it was spoken through the prophet Daniel. 
And that's not a contradiction. That's just further information on Matthew's part. Mark is not always uh, up. His purpose is not always to tell us everything possible that he knows. He's writing to a Gentile audience, primarily Roman, while Matthew is writing to primarily a Jewish audience. And so Matthew is going to pull on a whole lot of Jewish ideas for background. So now we're going to jump to that difficult passage we looked at last week, Daniel chapter 24. Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. So we start with the difficult concept of 77s. We talked about it last week, but let me just remind you. 77s. You have to have an interpretation. There is a meaning to whatever that is. Here's what I think it refers to. I think it refers to 77s or weeks of years or 77-year periods. That's normally how it's understood in prophecy. That makes 490-year period. And all I would like to say is I'd like you to think of that as a clock, a prophetic clock. There's a 490-year period that's calculated, and here's what it's for. Our decreed, decreed by God. So whatever you think that means, you have to come up with a better answer than 490 years. Decreed for your people and your holy city. Who's he talking to? He's talking to Daniel. Who's, who are Daniel's people? Well, they are the Jewish people. They are the nation Israel. Who, uh, what is the holy city? Well, that is Jerusalem. So 490 years or 77s are decreed to finish transgression. Sin. Has sin, sin been finished yet? I don't think so. Uh, to put an end to sin. Has it come to a total completion and been stopped? Nope. To atone for wickedness. Has that happened yet? Yes. Jesus died on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sins. God sent, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That was the atonement. But Daniel is writing in about 586 B.C. or 600 B.C., okay? So way before Jesus. So Jesus fulfilled this prophecy about atoning for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Has that happened? Nope. I think it's yet future. To seal up vision and prophecy. Has all prophecy been fulfilled? Nope. I don't think so. And to anoint the most holy place. What's that? Well, it's the temple... In Jerusalem, the most holy place. Next verse. Uh, No one understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem and the anointed one, the ruler comes. There will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. This is difficult, okay? I'll give you my opinion here. I shared it last week. From the time that there's a decree, there's an official public decree for the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple. And it goes out in the ancient world, and some scholars would guess, but there's a decree from Cyrus that uh, could place this around 446 B.C. I wouldn't die for it. It is a a date that kind of fits with the possibility of this happening, and that's all it is, is a possibility. To rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, who's that? Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, Jesus um, will be sev- uh, seven sevens, 49 years, and 62 sevens, I think, I uh, got 434 years, and I think it totals like 483 years. It's in my notes. It, uh, so until then, it will be rebuilt with streets and trench, but in times of trouble. After 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and have nothing. That's, a, that's talking about the death of Jesus. So we know that the death of Jesus is a marker here 
in this prophetic clock. And uh, so there's, the clock is going to stop right here. That's where I think we are in, in prophecy. I think the clock has stopped. 69 weeks have passed. The anointed one has been put to death. And now let's go to the last verse. The people of the ruler who will come. This is a different ruler. To destroy the city and the sanctuary. 70 AD. In the Jewish war, 66 to 70, the Roman, the Roman general Titus came to Jerusalem and destroyed the city, totally laid it in ruins, and took this, tore down the temple one stone at a time. He did not want to give the Jewish people any hope. And uh, the end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant. This is the missing week. There's one week left, one seven-year period or a seven. He will confirm a covenant for many with one seven. In the middle of the seven, halfway through, book of Revelation calls it 1,260 days. Daniel calls it that, 1,260 days, three and a half years with a 360-day calendar that they used. He will put an end to sacrifice and offering. By the way, there is no temple in Jerusalem today. Daniel says there is going to be a temple. Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, future says there's going to be a temple. So there's going to need to be a temple rebuilt. And then this leader of the Romans here, in the future there's going to be a leader who puts a stop. He's going to make a covenant. He's going to make an agreement. Maybe, maybe it will be on TV someday and that, that we're going we're to be friends. And then he's going to go into the temple and make, put an end to the sacrifice and offering. Last slide. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation. This is what Jesus is quoting. He's going to go into the temple and he's going to do something that will be an abomination to God. And what he's going to do, he's going to declare himself to be God. Um, until the end that is decreed is until he faces his judgment. Okay, that's a lot of stuff. I know that. I, t- I said it was a difficult passage. Um, I don't uh, profess that I have a perfect understanding. That's my best understanding. Now, um, this, is a, this is a real scenario. Whatever Daniel was talking about, there is something to it, and it is going to happen. I don't, and however God wants to do it. And we just need to know that. And whatever Jesus said about it, something's going to happen. And it's the way Jesus said it. And we need to know what the scriptures say. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. He says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us. So just in the first century, there were people who got nervous about Jesus coming again and whether they had missed it or not. And just like in 1843, there were people who got up in arms and hadn't paid attention to all that Jesus had said. He said, uh, whether by a prophecy or by word or mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Day of the Lord is that technical term. We're going to see it here today. And it's, it refers to the end times. It refers to refers to judgment and Jesus coming back and blessing on earth. Asserting that the day of the Lord has come. Next slide. Don't, uh, don't let anyone deceive you in any way that the day will not come until the rebellion occurs. And here it is. The man of lawlessness is revealed. 
I think that's Daniel 9.27, the ruler who has a covenant with Israel for seven years, and he goes into the temple and proclaims himself to be God, okay? And um, the man of lawlessness, he will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or his worship so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. And uh, personally, I believe that's yet future. Uh, Let me just say this, how difficult this passage is. In prophecy, we often talk about a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. For example, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 is a prophecy about Jesus. For unto us a child is born, a son is given. We know that? We put that on Christmas cards. And then it goes on to say that the government will rest on his shoulders, that he's Prince of Peace, that he's Almighty God, that he's going to rule with a rod of iron. Well, that didn't happen when Jesus came the first time. It's going to happen in the end times. But there's a prophecy where both of them are together. We talk about a near and a far fulfillment. It's like the prophets saw two mountains together, and on top of those are the coming of the Lord, and one of them is the first, and one of them is the second. And so there was a fulfillment in both of those. That's not always easy to see. It makes prophecy difficult. And the same might be true with this Daniel 9, 24 through 27 when it comes to the abomination of desolation. For example, in 167 B.C., uh, Antio- Antiochus Epiphanes went into the temple, and uh, he, he was a pagan ruler, and he sacrificed a pig to Zeus in the temple. Some scholars think that's a fulfillment. It may be. A, it, was, it was after Daniel. And then Jesus was talking to a group. Now, Jesus didn't say that was a fulfillment. He said it was yet to come. This is after Antiochus Epiphany. And now the Romans come in from 66 to 70 AD. They laid siege on Jerusalem, and eventually they tr- totally destroyed the city. But when they went into Jerusalem and into the temple, they really made a mockery of it. And, and they brought in Roman uh, soldiers, and they came in, and they had banners that had the image of Caesar, and they all bowed down to Caesar in the temple. Was that a fulfillment? Maybe. But there is definitely a future fulfillment that is yet to come. I think you're going to see that. Um, And so this is a long start, but hang in there. We're going to start moving quickly. It's time for the reader to flee to safety, verses 14 through 17. When you see the abomination that causes desolation uh, where it does not belong. And by the way, there's actually a masculine uh, participle here that that makes this a he instead of an it. It's where he does not belong. This is why we think it's a a leader, a ruler, a person who, who goes into the temple. Let the reader understand. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And uh, so there is a warning here. To, Jesus is giving a warning to flee to the mountains. In 66 to 70 A.D. in the Jewish wars, Christians who were in Jerusalem, they were Jewish Christians, fled to the mountains. And guess what? The Jewish people did the opposite. They came into Jerusalem. And they even went into the temple for safety. And they were slaughtered. Jesus said, flee 
to the mountains. Um, he, he says, uh, let no one on the housetop go down and enter the house. He said, you got to get out of there. Verse 16, let no one in the field go back and get their cloak. Don't stay. you gotta go, got to leave. Verse 17, how dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. This isn't a judgment on them. He's just feeling sad for this time and uh, how dreadful it's going to be. It will be a time, verses 18 through 20, of unparalleled distress. Unparalleled. This is why it's future. Um, nothing like this has, has happened. Uh, pray that the, this, this will not take place in winter because the, in those days of distress, unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. This is not just what happened in the first century. This is, I confess, it's, prophecy is hard, and I don't know everything there is to know here. This is moving to something bigger than the first century, as bad as it was in the first century. Verse 20, if the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. Um, according to the book of Revelation, the entire earth could be destroyed uh, in the end times, except God set limits on judgment. And he did it for the sake of his elect, meaning those who are genuine followers of Jesus during that end time period. Verses 21 through 23, it will be time of false Christ and false prophets empowered by the supernatural. Look at verse 21. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah. And that's happened all through the ages. People say, here's, here's, we got the Christ. The Messiah is here. Or, look, there he is. Do not believe it. Jesus has made this clear. Verse 22, for false messiahs. And false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So Jesus is warning about the end. And one of the things about it is, he's saying there's going to be false messiahs and false prophets. And here's what I want you to see. They are going to be able to do miracles. They're going to dazzle people with their abilities and, and the supernatural. There's a lot of supernatural stuff that happens in our world. There's going to be a whole lot more that happen in the end times. And this supernatural origin is from Satan. It's evil. And that's coming. But, you know, Christians, as soon as we see something that looks a little supernatural and that looks a little bit good, we just jump all over it. Oh, it's God. Not necessarily. Hold on. And Jesus says, I'm telling you ahead of time. There are going to be people who claim to be messiahs, and they're going to do supernatural stuff. They're going to amaze people. And they're going to be false prophets who say they're speaking for God, and they're going to amaze people. And they're going to say, I'm speaking for God. And Jesus says, I'll tell you ahead of time, don't believe it. Don't believe it. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, the Apostle Paul says, The coming of the lawless one, this is the Antichrist, that end-time world ruler, will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power. It's going to be supernatural. Signs and wonders that serve the lie. Deception. Counterfeit. Not the real deal. Counterfeit kingdom. 
Something that looks like the kingdom of God that's not. It's going to be powerful. And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. That's primarily the enemy's main way of his strategy is deception. Is changing the truth, even just a little bit, to distort people from the gospel, from who Jesus really is. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Okay. Uh, Secondly, watch uh, for cosmic disorder. We'll move through this quickly. Watch for cosmic disorder. It will happen after the the abomination that causes desolation. Verse 24, but in those days, following that distress, uh, this moves us to the end time period. Next, verses 24 and 25, it will bring drastic changes to the sun, moon, and stars. Look at verse uh, 24. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. I don't know what that's going to look like, but Jesus said it was going to happen, and I believe it. This is going to be uh, a time when there are going to be major changes in the sky. It's going to be dark. Without the sun, without the moon, with stars falling from the sky. But this is also what Isaiah the prophet said in the 8th century before Christ in Isaiah 13, 9. See, the day of the Lord is coming. That the day of the Lord is an end time reference. A cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and to destroy the sinners within it. It's a time of judgment. The stars of the heaven and their constellations will not show their light. Next slide. The rising sun will be darkened. See, this is what Jesus said. The moon will not give its light. And here comes the judgment. I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty and will, be, and will humble the pride of the ruthless. And God's just saying there's going to be a time. Isaiah, the prophet, recorded it. A time when there's going to be judgment. And there's going to be spectacular things uh, in the heavens. Isaiah 34, verses 1 through 4 is another passage that supports this, and I'm just going to pass over it for sake of time. So, what are the signs? One, we need to watch for the abomination that causes desolation. It's coming. Watch for the cosmic disorders that we've just described in the heavenlies. And thirdly, watch for the dazzling appearance of Jesus coming in the clouds. Let's look at this. It was prophesied by Daniel. Verse 26, at that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Very clearly, this is the second coming of Jesus. This is the fulfillment of Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. Jesus coming in glory and power, and he's coming to bring judgment. By the way, the first time he came, he came to save. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. He, he offers salvation today. He, he, he wants his church to share the good news so that our world can understand. He wants us to share with every people group. He wants them to know who Jesus is and what he's done. But when he comes a second time, that'll be over. The second time will just be judgment. Um, Matthew... Uh, tells us, and we're going to look at that passage in just a second, but let's look at Daniel 7.13. So this ties Jesus' reference 
to the book of Daniel. In my vision at night, Daniel says, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led in his presence. This is a unique passage. The, ancient, the Jewish people understood the ancient of days was a reference to God the Father. And one like the Son of Man, Son of Man is a term that Jesus most often used about himself. And it, it focuses on the humanity of Jesus, but at the same time, he is this person. And so the, there's the Father, and then there's the Son of Man, and he's led into the Father's presence. And he was given authority, delegated authority by the Father. He was given glory and sovereign power. That's like power over everything from the Father. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. This is not just a good guy. The father just didn't delegate this so that one of his favorites gets worshipped because nobody gets worshipped except the true and living God. And so this, all the nations will worship this son of man. Next slide. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. It's an eternal kingdom. This is a unique person, the Son of Man. So Jesus says, at that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds. That's a fulfillment of Daniel 7, 13, and 14. In Matthew 24, verse 30, Matthew gives us a little bit more information Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man of heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man. When when this happens, this will be an event that's going to scare the socks off of people. I don't plan on being here, by the way. I think I'm going to come with Jesus. I'm going to be with Jesus at that time. But but this apparently, there's going to be the sign of Jesus coming in the clouds and it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take time. He's not just going to be a flash. It's going to be this bright, in the, the skies are going to be dark, and then Jesus is going to be in glory, and people are going to have a chance to let this sink in. This is him. This is the one. And they're not going to want to meet him. They're going to mourn. They're going to grieve because of his presence. Um, th- In verse 27, this will include a gathering of true believers. Look at verse 27. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heavens. Um, And so uh, I think this is going to be end time. And uh, he's going to gather those uh, who basically have lived through that great time of distress, that great time of tribulation. Other passages say there's going to be a great judgment on those who don't believe. I'm going to jump now. I'm going to jump to C, verses 28 through 31. I'm passing over several things. And now learn this, the lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. So he's saying there's a lesson here from the fig tree. It's giving off information. When you see the fig tree changing, just like uh, you go through spring and summer is coming because it's showing forth life, it's just the way it's going to be in the end. Something is happening And uh, even so, verse 29, when you see these things happening, you know that it is right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away uh, until these things have happened. There's a great 
question for interpretation right there. What does that mean, this generation? Is it the generation that Jesus was talking to, or is it the generation at end times? And I'm not afraid to say I think it's possibly both, near and far. I don't know, but you have to have a better answer than me. Um, and then he says... Um, Verse 31, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Whatever's going to happen, count on it, because Jesus' words are never going to pass away. You can trust him. That's all you get out of this today is you can trust Jesus Christ with your life, with everything. You can trust him. I'm going to very quickly skim the last point. Watch continually for the coming of Jesus, verse 32 and 33. But that day, the day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on your guard. Be alert. You do not know when the times will come. It goes on 34 and 37. It requires alertness and watchfulness. And um, I, have a, I have a long quote from 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. And basically, he just says, don't be asleep. The Apostle Paul says, I expect better things from you. You're people of light. You're not people of darkness. And so, as you, know, as you think about where you are, Jesus Christ is coming again. And he says, watch for it. Watch for it. Um, he says, if, if he comes suddenly... Do not let him find you sleeping. This is Jesus. What I say to you, I, this, what I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. That's verse 37. Jesus says, watch. That's for everybody. Watch. Be on the alert. You know, it really doesn't make any difference where the church is. I think I'm going to be removed from this earth ahead of time. It's called the rapture of the church. But I'm supposed to watch for that. And Jesus tells everybody to watch for his return. Um, and so you just, just a question here. Right now, where are you in your walk with Christ? Would you say you're spiritually sharp or you're spiritually sloppy or sluggish? If you, is you, are you walking in the light? Or are you dabbling in the darkness? Um, there's a powerful passage in 1 John that gives us a lot of insight. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, let me just, just come back and ask this question. Why study prophecy? Why be focused on Jesus? What's this big deal about watching for Jesus? And here's what... The Apostle John says, he says, Dear friends, now we are children of God. So if you are a child of God, this is for you. Now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, Jesus, when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And the idea is, as we focus on Jesus, as we focus on his appearing, it brings uh, a sharpness, a motivation to us, and uh, it helps us in our purity and our walk with God. Our, our morality, 
our integrity, our honesty. We want to be ready as we look at Jesus. Because one day you and I are going to stand before Jesus. Every one of us will. And if you're a believer, you're going to be before him at the judgment seat of Christ. And um, you get to go to heaven, but you're going to know everything about your life. And if you're not yet a believer, you're going to stand before uh, the great white throne judgment. And you're going to know everything you did. And that will not be for heaven. That will be for uh, the lake of fire, the final judgment. Um, So, we're getting a little bit long here. Let's stand, and I'd like to pray for us. Father, uh, we've covered a lot of material, and I know there's a lot of complicated concepts. The main thing is, is that Jesus is coming back and that he wants us to live like today might be the day. And he wants us to be ready. He's given to us as the church to proclaim the gospel to every creature. And that's what he wants us to do as we wait, is to make the gospel known, to share the good news and to be the good news with people that we come in contact with God, may we be faithful. Would you sharpen our focus? Maybe take uh, Jesus' warning seriously, and may we be ready. Amen.